You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is part two of my interview with John Gordillo. You can start here if you like, but if you've not heard the first part, I strongly recommend that you download that. I think it'll all still make sense, but, you know, I mean, hey, you're all crazy creative people. Start backwards and play the whole thing backwards if you like. That's fine. That's a chilling thought. Imagine starting this episode and then listening to them all backwards. You gradually see me getting... Well, I mean, I I, I was about to say you'd see me, you'd hear me getting... uh, uh, more and more hopeful. But that's not true, of course, because this podcast is a good thing and it's making me happy. <laughs> so this is part two of John Gordillo and let's get stuck straight in. So what was the first stand-up show that you directed for someone else? Uh, Reg Hunter's show White Woman. When which was, was that? That was, was that? 2003. At um, the Edinburgh Festival. And what was your relationship with Reg prior to that? Is he... I, I'd met him. He was a friend of my girlfriend's at that time. Um, and he'd come over here for Christmas and we just hung out and just really got on. There were lots of... Turned out there was lots of similarities in our what ki- know, what, backgrounds. What kinds and, of similarities did you have with uh, Alabama and Reg Hunter? <laughs> I'm not sure we just got on. They, whether it was because he was the youngest of his family by about 10 years. I mean, I had lost my mother. He had a difficult relationship with his mother. For, for whatever reason, we just spoke the same sort of emotional language and we laughed at the same stuff. I mean, you know, and both of us, yeah, yeah, had a taste for, again, dramatic slash, I suppose, intellectual comedy. Okay. I suppose. I don't know, but... It, it, Weirdly, yeah, it just feels weird to even define that. I'm not quite sure what that is. Yeah. And he asked you, had he worked with a director before? He'd or was just it just done, kind of he a... had done uh he had done a show where he had been nom- he'd done one Edinburgh show and he'd been nominated for the best newcomer. And he felt that he had to change his game and he wanted to be a different kind of stand-up. And so he knew he wanted a director, and then by coincidence we met and started talking. And uh, and he just seemed to feel that, well, this this is clearly the the person to direct the show because, you know, it was opinionated or, you know, articulate. But also, um, and I identified with the blocks he was having because it's taken me so long to overcome a lot of my really basic performing blocks um, and just human being... You know, whatever, you're, you're overcome. You're never, you're never out of it. But, but I suppose because I carried a lot of neurosis on stage for much longer than was seemly, that I really understood what the process is by which you can shut yourself down or not go push yourself. And because I felt I've sh- shot myself in the foot so many times with that over the years, for whatever, and because I'm articulate, then there's some language, and because then I can create and direct. I suppose. I can see solutions in it and go, okay, we'll just manage this in yourself or have you thought about this idea or whatever. Um, yeah, I don't know. For, it, just, it just fitted with what he needed. Um, was it a case of just conversations or did you go and see a bunch of his previews? Or He wanted someone to be brutally honest with him about what he was doing. He okay. asked for that. And so I went to see him do, yeah, some stuff in January, I think, of that year. And I was brutally honest and I tore him apart. 
and and I wasn't performing at that time. I wasn't doing stand up, so there was less uh, sympathy. There was less humanity in me then. <laughs> <laughs> Rules for directing: number one, lose your humanity. I was a bit of a cunt, uh, but he did ask for it, and I wouldn't do that now because uh, you know, you know. You, 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 I don't know, maybe you're working out your own ego, your own frustration with why you can't do it. And I'd been off the circuit for two years, so maybe... But anyway, for whatever reason, uh, he he was attracted by that. He was <laughs> he liked that. And it, and um, it, but, 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 but we had... But we actually seriously had a really... It was, it was amazing because it was the first time that I'd been speaking to someone and, and was kind of... And both of us feeding each other. But I started to understand, oh, this is why I like certain things and why I don't like certain things. And this is what I think is good and and because Reg and I are actually quite in similar territories as 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 writers and comedians we, we even though the voices are very different and the approach is very different but um yeah I don't know it just it just it it really fed him he just wanted the the main thing I remember from that is he had a tendency which a lot of people have of setting up a really interesting premise like oh it sounds good he's really going to get into something and then paying it off with some bullshit and and so you're left going oh that was really and especially with Reg because you go well that's really you really are clearly a great thinker and know how Mm. to speak Mm. well and then you've just taken me into some wank joke or whatever it is um and so that was the main thing was about going well let's try and you know to use your phrase write to theme let's see if we can really and that was the case of both of us building the show up completely from scratch. Me sitting down with him. He decided he wanted to call the show White Woman, which was a brilliant title. Mm. Um, and he wanted it to be about his fascination with white women. What is that about? Yeah. And and it only actually ultimately at the end was yeah, it was about so many other things. It was about it was about the it then became a show where the theme took over. And because Reg is such a you know, a good speaker, you could really sit and listen to him be serious for three or four minutes as he expounded on an idea. Um, so that was that. So that show, the theme of that show became all about the way we create, uh, we react to images rather than reality and the way that we use images to shield us from reality. And, um, and so, yes, it was about thinking of the world in terms of images and, and, and all of that. And how did you feel, did you feel a sense of sort of co-ownership of that? Yeah, show? yeah, no, it was that, our, was definitely, that was definitely our show. I mean, it was, I mean, it was, the show we did the next year, I, I script edited more than created he, with him. I mean, Reg did all the heavy lifting, let's be yeah, clear. Yeah, sure. And it was his agenda and it's his material. I was able to feed it and bring observations and things into that uh, that were sympathetic. And I certainly was able to put something together with him out of it that was much bigger than just the sum of the bits. Um, but, so yeah, but that first show it was very much our show. We, we really built that from scratch and, 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 you've and worked built it on, like a proper show. And you've worked on lots of shows with Reg. How many shows have you I've done? Kind of... I've done one, two, three, four, four or five, I think. I'm not sure. And over that time, how has your, how has your role as, <laughs> as director or script editor changed and it's developed? Become, it's become less important. It, it, the, 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 real, the real work that we did was, you know, whatever, 10 or 11 years ago, because it was really about helping him find even though there was lots of things I was giving him and creating with him, it was about helping him find how to do it for himself. Yeah. And because that's what it's about. Yes. And so, um, and of course, once he started to be able to do it for himself, well, he doesn't need that kind of support. Then you yes. come in and you write jokes with him or you think of, I mean, definitely I would go in there. I directed his last DVD. And so we definitely, I helped him script edit that set and put it in a sort of shape and, gave him a few lines where it was needed, but he didn't need that. He's, you know, was already much more functional. I wasn't core to developing most Mm. of those ideas, but certainly in terms of the editing of them and the presentation and how they flowed and how they grew, then, yeah, that's, yeah. So you went on... That's not appropriate for most comics. That's the other thing to say. Thinking about a show in such a structured, thematic, I would say, movie way, it's not necessary. You know, you, again, watch the great work by the great people. I mean, of course, they are brilliant editors of their own work and they, they, there are certain pieces that do feel like they naturally occur later in a show rather than mm. earlier, but these are not thematically linked shows. They're just incredibly funny sets. And I think, actually, that's better than, than having so, a, uh, a full show. Over the course of you... Depends you, what you're doing. How many different acts have you directed? I don't know. 
I mean, 60, 70, loads, okay. absolutely loads. Okay. And I'd love to, like, I know, so, there's someone I want to ask about, like, 50, I know you directed uh, one of Eddie Izzard's shows. Yeah, but that ago. was, but that was, that was different. That was, I had nothing to do with how he created his material. Um, I was purely there with him uh, as uh, just the, per- we were talking about how we were going to film his shows. So I directed his first two DVDs. Gotcha. And we talked about what we liked in concert films of stand-ups. I understand. And it was very much So it was that. more direct in the DVD rather totally. than the show. Totally. Yeah, okay. There was, Eddie's the person I had least to do with out of everybody I've worked with. Okay. Let's look at some of the different relationships. If it's sort of, if we're in the region of 60 acts. Yeah. Um, there must be acts with whom you've naturally clicked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there must be acts with whom you've had less of a positive reaction. Like, what do you look for almost in an act? If someone said... There's, there's three shows we'd like you to direct. You've only got room to do one. How do you make that selection? What things do you want to... Um, what, I don't know. Whatever feels... Just It's intuitive. Just whatever feels... If that was the choice, then I suppose I'd sit down with the acts and see who we got on best with and who I could feed best. I mean, that's purely how effective one can be in the work. But I don't know. Because I, I, I feel like I want to know about what it's like to, to help someone realise their like, vision. What it's like is... Um, you sit down with the act and you ask them what they want and what they're trying to achieve. What is it that they're hoping to get out of this tour or this Edinburgh show? Do people have answers to that? Because whenever I ask people what they want, so many acts say to me, God, I don't know. I don't know what if I they want. Say they don't I'm not know one of those game plan people, you know. Well, I'm, I'm talking about out of a specific show rather than a five-year plan kind of okay. thing. But, but if they say, well, I don't know, I just want to be really funny, I just want to figure out how to link these bits, then that's fine and that's yeah. what they want to do. If, if I then listen to what they're doing or look and go, hang on, actually, I think you're... I mean, I'll say, I think you're really missing something here and we should do this, and it's up to them to decide if they want to go the, with the direction I'm pitching. Every with a performer has to be with the performer's approval because they, has, they have to mouth it. Sometimes you feed them jokes. If you kind of go, there's an idea there, this yeah. is really good, this connects to an idea. I mean, I'm constantly trying to find a sort of deeper undertow and a connection. Oh, that's a bit like that bit you did 10 minutes ago. Could they go together? Is there a run? Could we put those together and have you emotionally escalate through those two pieces so you don't have to launch that second piece? You're still on a run from the first, so you've okay. got the So there's momentum. matters of rhythm and momentum yeah, and totally. things like that. That's how I see it. You're a glorified script editor and you're really more of a creative producer in the sense that you're helping them tell the story of them, especially if they're slightly newer and still yes. figuring that out, yes. in addition to structuring the show. So, for example, I've had somebody come to me uh, who's an act I really like. I won't say who he is, but he's really promising new act, really like the guy. He's really mad. Give with him a few times, really makes me laugh. He's come to me and gone, I'm going to do my first Edinburgh this year, and he's got this idea for the show and the idea is really funny and 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 he's got this reaction from everybody where everybody really laughs at the idea and I'm like, that's brilliant brilliant so what you got so i've sat with him a couple of times and he's gone through the construction of it and how the idea feeds through and how he's going to use his bits that he's only going to use some of what's pre-existing that will fit with the theme and what he'll write into and i've sat twice with him now and i've gone you've got to ditch this idea because this idea unless you really, really change the way you're writing this other stuff, this idea is just going to look like a, a tacked-on idea for the show and what you should concentrate on is absolutely assembling your best, most coherent bits and making a coherent statement about who you are. Do the stuff that you enjoy the most, do the stuff that makes... By all means, let's write new stuff. But, but what I'm interested in is I want to be able to sit with you for an hour and not feel that I'm being browbeaten with an idea or feel that you're not quite exploring it. And I say, this is your year two idea. And he says, um, no, but everyone really likes this idea. And, and he goes, and I feel that if I do that, I will make a splash. That I feel it's a very marketable idea. And that may be so. I'm no, I'm no good at marketing. I don't understand it. I, all I know is that artistically be simple and let's work on being simple is really hard enough as it is especially if it's your first time up there there's enough to keep going and there is you know it's often spoke about disparagingly the way some people's first edinburgh is just the collection of their best bits there's nothing wrong with that that's that's as much of a show as anything else it depends how you put it together and you know what depends how you're thinking about it it's not it's it's not a problem (laughs) 
So this is the brilliant John Gordillo. I, I described him. I know we've got this back and forth about whether or not he wants to be called the professor. He's not just a professor. He's like a wizened kung fu master that you meet on top of a hill. Two minutes into the last, the, the, the first of these two episodes, I just found myself going, yep, learn stuff, learn stuff, learn, learning more stuff, mainlining knowledge here. So uh, I hope you're getting as much out of this one as me. Great feedback from you lot on the first part, so thank you for that. Do remember to share it around the place. Please give someone you know the gift of ComCom. Um, just uh, link to the episode on SoundCloud or send them a link to comedianscomedian.com or to the iTunes page and just spaff it all over their social media and say you might like this sort of thing. Um, it's always gratifying to read the number of emails I get from people who said that they started off listening, like cherry-picking just the comics they'd heard of or just their particular favourites, and then lots and lots of you have said, you then went back and started all again uh, from the beginning. So very much, very much thanks, very much appreciations for that. Um, uh, just a quickie now, really. Oh, two things. I'll do money first and then Soho because the money thing, uh, I had my all-time, one of my all-time favourite donations. You might remember a couple of episodes ago, I said a lovely man called David came and pressed some cash into my hand uh, in Soho, of all places, to press cash, to press cash into a young man's hand. Um, but uh, I very much enjoyed that. And since I mentioned it on the show, a couple more people have done it. But my favourite one so far, and I only know that this gentleman's name is Drew. I know nothing else about him. I was doing a preview in the Smoke and Mirrors venue, which is a brilliant magic and cabaret. I believe it's called a parlour venue. I think that's the type of thing it is. Just sort of 30 or 40 seats, cabaret style seating, tiny little theatre in Bristol, where every Monday, I think it's every Monday, uh, Smoke and Mirrors runs uh, a new act, new, ma- new material night, which is uh, I'm intending to spend a lot more time at. Very, very enjoyable. Um, this gentleman walked up to me, smiled, nodded, did not speak, palmed a note into my hand, I nodded and then he wandered off and I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. So what did I do? Daddy cool over here. I immediately ruined it by running after him and going, thanks, that was so cool. But um, so his name is Drew. Thank you, Drew. If any of you would like to donate to the show and you don't fancy using the PayPal button, which is at the top right hand corner of the comedianscomedian.com page. And remember, if you're donating on PayPal, you can choose your own donation. All of your donations uh, support the show and they also pay on behalf of the people who'd like to support the show but can't afford it. So they appreciate it, as I'm sure, as much as I do. Um, but uh, if you don't want to do that on PayPal, if you don't want to get your pound a show, £20 donation or whatever you think is appropriate, um, and you see me at a gig, it's as good a reason to leave the house as any other. Come and see me at a gig. And the new rules are, now there's two ways we can do this. Either you can walk up to me and uh, just we'll just look at each other. You shake my hand, palm some money into my hand. And I will simply nod and smile and you'll walk away. And I'll do my best. I will do my best not to run after you and go, woo, yeah, thanks. That was so cool. The other half, I thought, similar to the the code phrase, as we remember, I'll mention it every so often. If you're a comic with three or four Edinburgh hours under your belt or equivalent and you would like to be on the show, you can always email me info at comedianscomedian.com or tweet me at comcompod or see me in the street. And the code phrase is... I'd be very pleased to be introduced to your beautiful daughter. That's how uh, we separate the wheat from the chaff and we separate the the fans of the show from people who just want to get on a thing. That's that's often valid too. Um, But in a similarly codified way, I thought it would be good if there was something you could say to me when you palm me the cash, like half now, dot, 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 something like that. Um, Just, you know, the implication being the other half when he's dead because it just sounded so... um, it felt, the whole thing felt a lot like, I mean, whatever you do, don't come up to me at festivals and silently press money in my hand because we will end up getting involved in all sorts of police-based farcical uh, nonsense. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe half now. Or maybe you could suggest uh, another one. Uh, why not suggest it at ComComPod on Twitter with the hashtag dirty money. <laughs> why don't you do that? Uh, a suitable code phrase. You, like, if you like a sort of A and B code phrase, so you say a thing, I say a thing. Let's do that. That's tremendous fun. That is all the stuff on the money. One little thing before we start talking about Soho briefly. Um, If you are listening to this and you are a high profile comedian or have a friend who is a high profile comedian or both of those things are true. I was just thinking how gratifying it was when Ross Noble. Hello, Ross, if you're listening, um, when he uh, when he emailed me using the code phrase and said, I I love the show and I'd love to come and be on it. That was great. I've heard a couple of rumours from other acts of some 
just ballistic high-named people that listen to this. I won't name any of them in case it turns out not to be true. But if you are someone who is a higher-profile act and you fancy coming on the show, you want to have a conversation with me, or you want to even want to, to specify what sort of thing you'd like to talk about, uh, I am all ears. So please feel free to send uh, information to me, send me emails, and uh, and let me know. Now, on the subject of brilliant people coming on the podcast, I mentioned last week I was trying to book this guy for the first show of Soho Theatre. I've managed to do it. If you if you're on the Facebook group or you're following the the Twitter, um, you will be aware of this. It's Des Bishop, ladies and gentlemen. Des is an incredible Irish American act. Uh, he was based in Dublin for a long time. He has had the most incredible career he's this kind of he seems to be sort of a relentless documentarian he does shows he did a show called des bishop likes to bang about him learning to play the drums he did a show called my dad was nearly james bond about uh, the the passing away of his father and uh, and his father being an actor who'd given everything up to provide for his kids um, he's doing a show called Made in China, which I mean, get, this is this is we're so far beyond the concept of what a gimmick for a show might be. But Des went to China for over a year, learnt Mandarin, and now can perform in Mandarin Chinese and has his own name in Chinese and his own sort of stand-up identity over there. He, he's just one of the most uh, kind of what's the word? What's the word for when a dog has got the thing between his teeth? He just has just got comedy and gone, right, this. And he's just doing it so comprehensively. I'm really excited. We've got him uh, on Tuesday, this Tuesday coming, which is the 7th of April at Soho Theatre. Go to SohoTheatre.com to get your tickets. 9.30pm. I'm going to be in Des's show at 7.30, catching up with his Made in China show. Um, So come along and see that or see him over the whole period of the next two weeks at Soho. And come along at 9.30. Let's try and sell this out. Get online. You can use... We've got a special code now after after my good friend and uh, comedian, excellent comedian, uh, Andrew Bird, pointed out that one of the things I say is, that's enough, faff. Let's have the word faff. So it's F-A-F-F in capital letters. Put that into the, the Soho Voucher Code section on their website when you're buying a ticket to the live shows, and you will get a small but... Uh, pleasing discount. Des Bishop on the 7th of April, Nina Conti on the 5th of May. I think, is Nina a household name now? I'm sure most people listening to this will know who she is. She is one of the most fiercely innovative uh, comics and ventriloquists and variety acts I, th- I think I'm, I've ever seen. And there is a hugely fascinating conversation to be had there about Ken Campbell, who I was, I was lucky enough to see a, a few years ago before uh, Ken sadly passed away. Um, and she is very much an acolyte of Ken's and has taken some of his ideas, some of his lunacy, some of his skills, and just transformed them into something completely whole and completely her own. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Des Bishop, 7th of April. Nina Conti on the 5th of May. Please, I mean, you're going to hear these and you're going to hear them for free. That is completely up to you. I want the information to be free. I want the knowledge to be free. I want you to enjoy them. But if you enjoy supporting the show, uh, please come along to one of those shows at Soho and let's show Soho Theatre that this should be a regular once a month fixture. That would make me so happy if we could make that happen. That's all for now. Let's get back to the absolutely brilliant John Gordon. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. We've skipped about here, but we're just talking about uh, another act who we're not going not gonna to name, but we're just using that as a template for a mistake that I made, which was to... I wanted to be Christopher Nolan in my shows. I wanted to be, my shows to be clever, like Memento, not, yeah. for years. It's not a movie. It, 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 stand-up can't take an arc in that way. Stand-up can't take an arc where you end up as a different person than you began. 
that you can talk about how you changed from within the frame of being the same person, but it's not a movie. You can't, you can't hinge your... You can't take off a mask halfway through exactly. and go... You absolutely yeah. can't. You know, and again, back to this show that I keep going on about from five, six yes. years ago. It's yes. exactly my problem in that show. Um, but it is like a movie in the sense that um, it's just storytelling. So all you're doing is you just build... You know, you, so the audience just has to know who they are, where, who you are, what's going on, where we are... And there has to be some emotional build throughout it. There just has to be some sense where the stakes are escalating. And that whole, whether it's that hour or that 20 minutes or whatever, is all leading to that point of maximum revelation. That, you know, it's all leading to that point where, you know, and, you know, often, often an idea for structuring a set is what happens if you start... What's the thing that you can't really follow? Not that it's necessarily the funniest, but what is the point of maximum compromise... So you kind of the go, well, point of maximum compromise. <laughs> so we'll end there and then constructing the set back from there and thinking, well, okay, well, this will work in order to get me to there. So how can I then... Compromise between what and what? How do you mean? Just, um, where you as a human being are compromised. Oh, so that's like what maximum I mean. jeopardy almost. Jeopardy, yeah, yeah gotcha. exactly, okay, exactly. Yeah. Or vulnerability or revelation or, um, yeah, complication, disaster, whatever it is. And that inevitably means that the emotional stakes escalate throughout the set. Yes. Because you're going up to yes. hit that point. Okay. And that can be a really useful way of thinking about, well, what do I put in this set and what do I don't? Well, well what am I closing on? Is a good... Yes. Is often actually the best first thing to think about, I think. And then you work back from there. So if this show, this, this show now, this podcast that we're doing, right. this is normally me going, I no want arc. to be... <laughs> it certainly no, doesn't. There's no empathy. <laughs> hey, I don't hey, know who I'm I am. Tr- I'm trying to create who an arc you? here. <laughs> yeah, sorry. If this, what this show normally is, is me going, I'm a comedian, you're a comedian, how do I get to be as good a comedian as you? So because we're talking about um, directing shows, a couple of people in the last couple of years have asked me or inquired generally, would I be interested in, in directing? Mm. So how do I be a good director? Like, my first well, thought is... You've got to be empathetic. You've got, if, that, if that's a word, you've got to have empathy. You've got to be a fan. You've got to... You can't, obviously can't do it with anyone that you don't like. It's lucky for me that I do genuinely like most stand-ups. Sure. I'm really interested, like you, I'm interested in the process. I find I learn from it by listening to how they manage the problems and, and all of that. You've got to be a genuine fan. And then, and then bring... You know, obviously, trust in your intelligence. Don't pretend to know more than you do, and listen to what's being put to you, and exercise your most ruthless judgment on it. And but do it in a way that you know is human and constructive, and not do what I did, you know, years ago with Rich and <laughs> salve my own ego yeah. at the expense. Of this work. goes. That's yeah. out. Stop yeah, exactly. doing this. Yeah. You know, and and you know exactly because because it's someone else's hard work and life that you're talking about, and you understand how difficult and you know that can be quite. It's naughty getting yourself to getting any material together or getting any act together. Has anyone ever directed you? Uh, no, and I would really like them to. I asked someone. I, I, I did ask someone to direct me, and that might happen next year. Yeah, I would love it. I think I could do with it actually. And I and I thought my last show, uh, I could have got to a, a a better place with it quicker had I had a director. But I do collaborate with people, and I do have um, one of the things that just you know do is you know the couple of comics i'll just sit around with and do what we did a couple mm. of years ago mm. and just bounce ideas around and see what's happening and feed each other and so it inevitably if it's edinburgh time we'll go on so i'm thinking which thing uh, mm. you know you'll, you'll have that conversation are you satisfied with your own stand-up at the moment i read i read a review here's where i'm going with this i read what i read several of your reviews just to, mainly to remind me of things that, were in the I show wrote that them. I saw. Yeah. <laughs> um and one of them said about uh, Cheap Shots at the Defenceless, they said it's not the funniest show on the fringe, but it's certainly one of the most thoughtful. Mm. And that's kind of like damning with faint praise mm-hmm. in a comics way, because we want to be the... What, do you, do you want to be the funniest show on the fringe? I think, I, think, um, I think when that show... I think it does depend how you manage the elements. And I'm sure... I mean, I think that was probably true... Of, it's probably true of that show at any festival, any time. But um, I do think that when you know when you're doing it right and when you're really having fun it's a really funny show so absolutely but you're not one of those people that treats edinburgh like the olympics like i start writing in september the show's ready in may i preview it 40 times and then i go to edinburgh to smash it and get on tv 
Well, the last bit, the last bit um, is I don't care about, but the but the but the the rest of it, yeah. I mean, and in fact, I thought, excuse me, I thought, um, what did I do? I did about fifteen previews for Cheap Shots, the last one before Edinburgh, and actually. Um, I wish I'd done thirty. I think that's. I think there's, there's no substitute sure. for going through it. So, yeah. yeah so I think, I, I would... I think what I'm bouncing off there is the what you said about an hour or more ago when you were saying that after Edinburgh it loosened up somehow. Yeah. And I think that's that's not part of the process. Is I think that's I've certainly experienced that. It's as... not because of the industry pressure at Edinburgh. Sure. It's because of it, it's because there's all sorts of other psychological pressures Absolutely. there. Absolutely. And, and, and it's the, it's the best and worst feeling in the world yeah. to go back to your show in October yeah. post festival. And just realise that all the, you know, there's 10 minutes worth of stuff that didn't need to be there that you were too in it at the time to notice. And, you know, you go, yeah. I'm such an idiot, I was doing that. And yeah. then at the same time you go, I feel so free. Like, I'm, yes. I'm really this year trying to be brutal with the, with the editing and go, if I'm not absolutely looking forward to doing a bit for its own merit, yes. it has to go and it yes. has to go now because otherwise I'm going to refine it for three months and waste my time. Yeah, 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 yeah. So... When we, I was going to think about some of the some of the concepts you, you you mentioned in Divide and Conquer. Like a really good for me, a really good simple stand up concept is your bit about chickens. Yeah, and your bit that the to to, to butcher the premise now by you know, putting sure. it in a sentence. But basically, what you're saying is it's it's about the ethics of battery farmed chickens mm. and saying actually they've got such good the free range chickens have got such good lives. It seems a shame to eat them. It's, it's more cruel to. It's, yeah, it's more cruel yeah. to eat them. So so you're kind of inverting the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're saying battery, you should eat battery farm chickens because they, you know, they appreciate an end to their lives. They want to die. They want to die. You, yeah. You, it's a blessed relief. Yeah. So when you've got, let's, let's just spend a minute just picking that apart and, and just get a sense of the work that you're doing with someone else or on your own. That to pull out the funniest ideas of that. That one, I mean, this is a few years ago now because that idea I've heard other people do subsequent to that. Um, that, uh, but that came from the trying to think. I'm just because Dan Atkinson did some work with me on that show. I don't know if you fed that bit. That might have been all me that bit. But what what that came from was um, a way that I often like to work, which is just simply reading a label. I love reading things on stage. I love bringing artifacts onto stage. I love reacting to the language of you know spin and advertising. Um, and so for me, this. Not there's not much greater fun than to be able to stop the gig and read something for a minute, and uh, and I really love what that puts into the room. Uh, I just like it because it's not comedy. I like it, and, <laughs> but also I like it. So it came from that, and so from there, you know, you've got to edit the the detritus that you're reading out. So you're just reading the salient points out that. And then, yeah, I just remember that, that in a way, is a pure example of just an idea developing, 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 developing. Um, in, it worked always really well in the show, in the big, uh, uh, longer set that it was a part of. But in stand-up, it met with variable success because there's no obvious emotional point of contact. I'm reading a thing out and going, isn't this a strange thing? And if you look at it that way, but that's weird. And so I'm looking at a thing outside of myself. And of course, when stand-up really comes alive... Now, I think that piece works because the specific, pernicious, relentless um, nature of the complaint that I'm making, it just keeps driving on that point and watching it unravel. But actually... um, is it sort of a joke that anyone could do? Rather anyone than a could joke do that anyone, you anyone have to exactly. Do. Anyone could do that joke. It doesn't. It doesn't come specifically out of my experience. But the fact that I saw it and decided to present it in this way, and that it so it clearly means something to me, that is specific and personal to me. Someone else would handle that material differently. Um, and there's a line of logic that is pursued. But yeah, I mean, my goodness me, other people, I'm sure, could do that. I did a piece years ago. Um, uh, that was all about it was in '99 or 2000 or something, which was all about how I was a heterosexual puff, and that puff had been wrongly appropriated, and actually I'm too puffy for gay sex. That's a real man's job. Dot 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 mm. dot. And and then three years later, when I was the circuit, and I'm sure he never heard it, he just did it because it's just there to be had. Steve Hughes just did that brilliant routine about how straight is the new gay mm. that took the same idea. Mm. Um, developed it 
much, much better and, and really allowed it to really breathe and say something and had much many more turns than mine did. Mine came out of my own neurosis about my puffiness. Him came from out of a, a cooler, A big mythic, cheekier, let's take huge subjects and, yeah. and really smash them around. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's got that really simple, gruff style that, that imbues it with an emotion, yeah. with an attitude. So, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, you, there's, there's, there's ideas like that that yeah, I guess anybody could do. And then it's like, oh, uh, keep talking about this show that I made. <laughs> it was like going to see Russell Kane's play about Shakespeare, whenever that is, about six years ago. Whenever he did his Shakespeare parody. Yes. Um, and he basically, in five minutes at the end of that show, in much better language, encapsulated everything that I was saying in my show. And he did it with an economy and a wit and a density that made me go, oh, for fuck's sake. Are you... Are you... <laughs> Let me let me let me phrase this. Is the t- that doesn't is happen the t- a lot. That's no, probably no, like the no, three no, or four sure. times that's happened. But this right. is this is a this is a tougher question. This is a tougher question. But do you find that your your obsession with the idea and the importance to you of following the idea over and above feeling some sort of industry pressure to succeed does that <laughs> does that make you comfortable somehow does that serve you by meaning that you don't have to be as disciplined with yourself (laughs) you don't have to be as disciplined with yourself as another comic no but i think for years it was a get out for me to justify my own failure but was it i think that's what i'm getting at you say for years and and, and i think and i I think that's probably been the case for me um up until the last five or six years i don't think that's i don't think that's so recent a change for me uh but i certainly think that when you're neurotic and worried about how you're doing and you can always hide behind being a cult failure and 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 like a cult failure is a really brutal <laughs> phrase i did want to say something about like you you are probably the person for whom the equation the ratio is most diverse of respected as a respected by comedians <laughs> and to money in the actual bank actual profile yeah exactly yeah 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 i think that's true that's part of the professor it's like the eternal professor the eternal student almost. but that but there's no principle behind that at all uh the I'm as interested in doing well and making money and all the rest of it as anybody else. But my view of that is... Uh, I, I'm sorry, it's just really simple. I just look back at stuff that I've done and I am I really... I'm, I'm quite capable of liking myself. And I just kind of look at it and kind of go, yeah, it's interesting, but it's not quite there. It's not quite good enough. It's not for my taste, for nobody else's taste but mine. And... And my tastes, I think, normally coincide with the audience. I'm quite a good audience member. I like, you know, I like being fed in an audience and I like sitting in a group of people and, and, and I want to be moved and taken away. So I'm totally... I feel quite connected to the audience, weirdly, despite the kind of lines I sometimes pursue in my work. Uh, and I just feel I'm figuring that out. And I've got no other agenda other than that. But I'm... I'm only interested in, in figuring that out the organic way, whatever that means. I might be justifying my own failure yet again, but I'm just interested in going, do I find it easier to write stand-up now than I did? Yes. Do I think I'm funnier naturally on stage than I was? Yes. So for me, it's all going upwards and it's all getting better. Um, so we'll see. That's, that's, the, that's all I know. The, the rest, Yeah. I fit, do you feel like I'm sort of attacking you no, to no, mention no. that question? You no. seem you're some you became a little bit animated there, and know. you were fiddling with the thing with the little cigarette things, and your thing is quite a lot. I wondered if I'd sort of touched a nerve because that must be. I mean, surely it must be difficult. I, I worry for myself. I don't find it difficult. I, I I think that the level of success that I've got, um, I th- I think I've. I think I've got to the middle broadly on merit. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I suppose I, when I think of some comics who are like uh, entrenched jonglers comics, sure. and I think of, without wanting to mention any names, but you think of people who have probably seen people do open spots and do not as well as they were when they were smashing their headline spot, mm-hmm. and those little open spots now are millionaires in sure. arenas. And is there but that's something because, like you, you've that's helped it's millionaires not... be better? You've helped sure. famous people be better? Yeah, but they, but but I can't help them unless there's a. It's not really about that. It's it's about the human connection. It's about where they're at in their work. And it and you know I've I've been very 
lucky in this career that I've, I've sat in a lot of rooms with a lot of well-known people and a lot of very established people, and not just in comedy, in television and as in writing and all the rest of it. And I've, I've been lucky. I've gone to lots of different places and I've worked in lots of different places uh, with lots of different people. And ultimately, you're just a bunch of people in a room trying to solve a problem. And there's... I've been in the room with multimillionaires trying to write scripts with them. Um, and they're the same as everyone else. They've just got a certain confidence and experience that comes from that. But you're still th- three people in a room trying to sort an idea out and there's no guarantee of where that's going to come from. If people... that's, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean anything. Do, should there be multimillionaires in comedy? No. And I think that's over-promoting it. That's giving it... But, that, but they're... Profit, I don't feel, is at, is at my def- deficit. I don't think it's cost me that they're there. You know, most people who are doing really well at this business, you know, will go, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, I just did what I did. But it was really interesting. It was very interesting working with Josh Widdicombe. Uh I worked with him very closely on his first Edinburgh show. And uh, well, very closely. He had the bits, but really helped him assemble it and script edit it and he was always a really good fluid comic you know fussy in a really interesting way about how he wanted to link things and fussy in an interesting way yeah, so, yeah that's everyone, all over, yeah absolutely. i mean a pedant because everyone who's good is kind of pedantic i think yeah uh and he did the show and he got a nomination and he got lots of television opportunities and breaks and so on and he had a really really sailed in terms of his career in that, in that first year. Came back to me for the, the, the year afterwards. And I was able to help him a lot and all the rest of it, but he just didn't need it. The, the level of confidence and affirmation that he'd had in that last year just made him a better comic. It just made him trust his instincts better. He didn't need to check certain things anymore. He knew that he was doing okay. And I think, I think for a lot of... Not all, because I think there are people who are just absolutely brilliant and are built for stand-up and have it in their bones in a way that I don't. Michael McIntyre is one of them, you know, regardless of what the material is, but he's absolutely pure. He, he, he's just, he's like a soft machine. He can just do it and he can do it, turn it over quicker and observe it and turn it into stuff faster and better than most people I've ever seen. And I've seen him close up. He's amazing. Um, but most people, a lot of people who get to that millionaire status, they're, Really, just like you and me, maybe maybe they're a bit maybe they've sorted a couple of things out, but they've got the confidence of knowing that they're doing really well and the dedication of that. Most of them will just will go. Well, I feel lucky. I don't. I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't think it would be. It would go this well. It was just plugging away. They plugged away diligently and they worked very hard and all the rest of it. But but there's also there is that element of this business that is luck. It's not. It's not just on how funny you are it's what you signify it's what you represent what your demographic is what your marketability is it's what people identify with now you can say that's of course we know that marketing is a manipulative process that it's designed to to create an artificial need in an audience for a certain kind of act it's it's that but or to create a desire i should say rather than a need but um but it's also just what people, you know, it's very basic. It's, for whatever reason, I don't, you know, I probably identify with middle-aged white guys and I don't have a, when I see them more, because I just instinctively get them generationally or where they're coming from, you know. And perhaps there's an element of that where Sarah Millican, you know, is going to have a really loyal fan base of working-class women because she reflects something of that experience. She puts it back to them in a way that they can identify there are plenty more people like Sarah Millican than, than just that group, of course. But it's it's part of her constituency. It's part, and, and again, going back to what we discussed earlier, when you can reduce an act and identify them in very simple terms, it becomes very easy to project into them. For, for, for That's how you find an audience, because an audience kind of goes, oh, they're just like me, or I get that. But again, a John Gordillo or a Kerry Marks is a slightly more complicated you know i get a bunch of people who are just like me who like me (laughs) you know thinky neurotic people i was just wanting to ask about things you've learned from people you've worked with 
like when you've directed someone, what kind of lessons are there for you to learn as a comic? It's the sort of thing that people ask me about doing this podcast. Go on, Trust you... your instincts. Uh, they nobody knows anything. They just got their instincts and their judgment. Um, even the most successful people um, have gaps in their judgment and need other people to confirm that or to help them in different ways. Uh, and just with experience, you're sort of groping through it becomes a bit less blind, but you're still... Yeah, I mean, it's that. It's, it, it just... It, it... If you're trying to find a formula or you're trying to find a... Oh, I've learnt this and, and, and I know what to do now. Well, that's obviously someone else's process. That's not yours. It just teaches you just to trust... Just it's just, it just your judgment improves. I think that's the difference with time. Your judgment improves, and your self knowledge improves, and your appreciation of what it is to stand in a room with a bunch of people improves. And that's it. it, it it's so interesting watching everybody work and the different levels that everybody works at and the different concerns they have. But ultimately, the same note applies to everyone. It's just well, just try it. Just see. Just see. And maybe that's why I did have done so much of that kind of directing because it's taken me a while to absorb that lesson. So I'll just try it. Fuck it. Who cares? Do you feel responsibility as a director? Because someone that came to me recently and said, would I be interested in directing their first hour? I kind of went, oh, I don't think the first time I direct someone should be their first hour because there's like a big load of pressure on them. And I, I think, it matters. I think, I think like, always, oh, God, always what pressure. if I screw them up? What if, what? I, what if my instincts are bollocks? Well... All you, can, all you can do is own your ignorance. You know, there are some acts that... that, that you know, there, sometimes I'll say, look, this is how I think I would do it, or this is how I think the kind... This is how, what I instinctively feel I can help you with. But I'm not sure you're in a territory that I can really feed, or I'm not really sure what to do with this. Like, what on earth... I mean, not that they would need collaboration or support, but if a Gary Delaney or a Milton Jones, mm. you know, I, we ended up in each other's orbits. I can't help those guys. I have no idea how they do what they do. Um, and is there, is there anyone, and you're so certainly not asking you to name names, is there anyone with whom you haven't worked that you think, oh, they need me? No, oh, um, no, I, no, no, no. Or that you want, or that there's something there you want to get your teeth into. You go, oh, I could, I could work with that. No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't have that hunger to work with stand-ups. I really enjoy working with stand-ups, but I'm, it's quite selfish for me. Uh, you know, I learn from it uh, and I enjoy it, and it's a bit of money. But I don't. I don't need to direct any more stand-ups. If I can get this film off the ground and make a film, I'd be much Tell me about happier to do that. Let's let's wrap up these. We're running low on time, but let's uh, let's tell. I know this is what I, I, no, I forced you to talk about stand-up, and you were saying before your headspace is completely in film. Into stand-up, so oh, I love it. But talk to me about the film. What this is a film I've been you've, trying. You've I've been trying to make a film in one form or another for a few years, and I got um, a certain way down the line with the project a couple of years ago but it wasn't right, we couldn't finish it. So, and what I realised was I have to make a film. And it's the thing that I've, you know, really occupies my imagination. I have to direct a film, I don't want to be in it. And so... So you're writing, directing it and producing it? You, when yeah, you say well, make it, you've well, got to make the decisions yourself. Yeah, I'll bring, we'll bring on a producer, but we'll raise money independently to do it. It's a small enough budget where we can do that. And go through that somehow in the next couple of years and we're and we're at currently in the last third of a second draft and i think it's going to need one more pass uh but it, that's purely yeah that's just me purely going again you know so much of this conversation has been about maturity and overcoming your neurosis and things like that and you know i would say in the probably in the last four or five years i've felt capable and that I could do it and not be intimidated by mm. the logistics or feel that I had to please anyone other than try and make it good and absorbing and interesting. So um, I did a draft of this thing and uh, as is uh, it, really good idea. The first half hasn't changed much, but the second half I needed what I needed to think through with someone. And I like collaboration. I sat down, I brought in, do you know Mike Shear? Mm, a no, Canadian, like Canadian stand-up. Sort of erstwhile, he sort of is off the circuit sometimes, but I think he's about to come back on. And um, he's a really good friend and he's a good collaborator, he's great. And we both, what I find with the reason why I um, 
want to do it is I find that naturally my brain seems to think very easily in images when this thing that this show that I've just directed with Ross Noble in, um, you know, I know where all the rushes are. I know what the good takes are. I just have a memory for that. So the one, I have, the a, one I have with... a sense of structure and story, and I find it very easy to move around and come up with whoops, and come up with solutions for things. And yes. just, I mean, it's the same like when you're working on a stand-up show. You're editing. So Ross's show, when you say you're directing freewheeling, you're actually directing <coughs> the TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, do, you're organising who you're, you're talking yeah. to cameramen live yeah. and going pick that up, pick that up. Yeah. So wow. We we, we, we yes we, we went out on the road and there would be. We had two main cameras, two DV cameras, and one little, little fisheye sort of Canon X5 kind of thing, um, and yeah, and just and 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 did that, and obviously both collaborating with Ross on what tweets we're going to do and how we're going to deal with them and what can we do when we're there. So having that directorial conversation with Ross, who's also directed Ross, we've both directed and produced the show together. Yes, so Ross is an exec producer on it, so he wasn't so, but effectively, I mean, it's obviously it's Ross's world, it's Ross's sure. idea. Um, but yeah, we've both sort of been was thinking about well, how are we going to manage this material? How are we going to shoot it? What are the fun things that we can do? And and we did it for Dave, and they were great. They really gave us free reign and were really supportive. And and your your background in directing comes from directing people's DVDs. Yeah, I've done have DVDs. You, you... I've done bits of telly. I've done various sort of sketch things over the years. Just just little bits and bobs here and there. And was that all learning on the job, or did you do a kind of director's training? Anyway? Years ago, you... I did. I went to film school, so I always. But there's, you know, it's, there's not a lot to learn really because the director is the least talented person on the crew. It's the one who doesn't have to have any specific skills. So again, mm. it's just about, you know, it's about thinking about the world and how we're meeting people, how we collide with people in the case of the improvised show like Ross, how we set that up and how we deal with an idea. But, um, and also if you want an effect, you know, you can talk to the camera operator and say, we want this kind of thing. And, and but they have to do it. Absolutely. Or, you you know, sometimes you'll say, right, you know, you know, we both of us, Ross and I were going to camera low there. We want one there, one up. Yeah. We'd, we'd say where we wanted it when we had the inspiration. But the main thing is about, it's just about, again, it's marshalling everyone and keeping everybody roughly on board and pushing it towards a certain goal. And uh, I really, that's, that's what I've, you know, felt very comfortable doing. And, and it's easier, it's more fun for me because I don't have to worry about performing it. Like, I f- feel that, um, you know, a limitation of my stand-up is that it has to come out of my mouth. But there are jokes that, you know, you kind of go, well, someone else would do that better. And do you know what I mean? So I don't have to be in the middle of it. So I, li- I really like that because then you can just world, you can just build a world. And that's what's really fun. And that, the whole, obviously, the whole editing process is really exciting. And just knowing how you can, just the way, I love the thing of just giving the audience information, how you give the audience information when you tell them a thing. And that's the same as when you're script editing your own show as when you're making a television show or making a film. It's the same process of just managing how we get this information and what we feel about it and what giving us this information here might make us feel what might it amplify how might that develop i love all of those pernickety little things and can you can you tell us anything about the film can you tell us what it's about yeah, yeah sure to? um it's a it's a it's a the film's called mine uh there's not a laugh in it it's about a 15 year old girl who is a scholarship student she's a council house kid she's a scholarship student at a a private day school. She's just joined the school in the last year of the GCSEs. And uh, so you sort of follow her from being uh, a young girl who doesn't have any money and who's in this world, and she sort of finds acceptance quite quickly. But then she's babysitting for one of her friend's parents, and she sees something that she shouldn't see. And she's bribed to keep quiet about what she's seen. And so she goes from being a girl who has person with no money to a person with quite a substantial income very young and she has to keep it a secret because no one can know how she's got this money and so and it's a partly about that it's partly about what happens when you go from having nothing to having quite a lot um but of course it's also about you know what happens as a consequence of keeping taking the money and keeping quiet and that's what the film's really about it's about someone who takes the money and decides to keep quiet and they have to live with the 
sort of increasing consequences of this really bad decision that they've taken. Okay, and is that is that story something that's where did that story come from to you? Is that something... I that... like the idea. I had, uh, w- was thinking about very simple... Was thinking about very, very simple moments. Uh, uh, this other project that I mentioned, which I couldn't get off the ground, couldn't get it quite finished in the right way. And I came away going, I've got to make something. And it's got to be exciting to make. It's not just making for the sake of making something. And so I just sort of played around with, in the simplest terms, just some log lines, just some very simple situations. And one was... A babysitter sees something she shouldn't see, or they shouldn't see. And uh, and then from there, you know, it's like any idea, isn't it? You okay. start going, okay, well, why are they looking at something they shouldn't be going? Mm. What's that person? Why are they wandering around a house? Why are they doing that? So from there... So what's a log line, did you say? Is that a, a log line? Just, you know, shark terrorises New gotcha. England okay. yeah. beach community. Yeah. Just that. It's okay. just, just a simple one-sentence explanation of, of the idea. Okay. And when you make this and it's, it's feature length yeah is it yeah very much so wow <laughs> <laughs> it needs to come down a little bit but at the moment i think it's running it's about two hours but and it, are you confident that it will be made have you got hmm. funding secured and it's, no, it's but, all gonna happen but we'll no. sort that out that's not that's that's all doable that that's the the it first of all it's got to be right and it's got to be worth making and then yes we'll i'll step into a world i have very little experience of but i, I will i hope be able to find a couple of people who have some experience of it i've got enough contacts to have some meetings or do whatever but we just have to raise a bit of money it just has to be a small it is not a big budget film it's a small amount of money um yes that it will be a huge difficulty to do but it's doable it's not it's not but it's only doable if I feel this script has got to be made, this is worth doing, and it's we're about seventy-five percent there. I think there's still a little bit of work to do, but it feels good. It feels like it's a. I'd watch it. Last question. Cool. This is just a little additional bit where I've revealed to John that I think of the jumper I'm currently wearing as my John Gordillo jumper because I've started wearing it on stage, not worrying about what I look like. And I just go on stage and get on with following the idea. And you said a lovely phrase, which is "sleeves up, go to work." Yeah, and but it, it's interesting because I've definitely, um, yeah, I've definitely preferred that sort of thing over the last few years. But actually, at the moment, I feel much more comfortable in a jacket and shirt. And and for whatever reason, despite everything that I'm saying to you here now, um, there's something about the slight formality and constraint mm. of that that allows me to sort of be just a bit lighter and a bit... And just lets me feel more comfortable as I'm sort of scratching my ass and wandering around. Yes, and I it, see. And, and it actually gives it a little bit of formality and smartness to, the, to work against the messiness of how I do things. And weirdly, so I'm feeling very, very comfortable. And, but in terms of the garb or the uniform, do you need it to be funny? No, of course not. But it's actually much closer in terms of the look to how I was years and years ago when I started yes. and was a sort of, you know, middle-class boy who sort of bumbled around and couldn't do very much. So yes. it's very weird that no matter... The, you go in phases Well, through. you never really leave who you are, you know, and, even, and you might wrestle with yourself about that. And, yeah. uh, but actually, you just instinctively go to what feels comfortable for you at the time. But it feels... Yes. It doesn't... Not just this... Because it felt comfortable to wear a jumper for a long time. But actually, not only does this feel more comfortable to me now to wear a shirt and a... a sort of, you know, slightly posh blazer. Not posh, but just a you know, nice, yeah. decent blazer. Um, but it also feels more coherent. I feel like I'm more organic and... Co- uh, uh, not organic. Coherent in it. Yeah. I feel that for whatever reason, I seem to make more sense to the audience in it. And... And, and I feel more yes. comfortable in that. Yes. And it doesn't like, feel like a compromise to me. It just feels I like... I feel like when I put this jumper on, I hadn't realised this till now, but I feel like I'm actively going, guys, I'm just working through some stuff. <laughs> and, and, and by the time I do Edinburgh, I'm, I will have done all the jumper stuff. Maybe my rule, maybe my rule for that, when, I'm, when I'm writing a show, I wear a jumper because it reminds me yeah. to be silly and loose on stage. Yeah, it reminds absolutely. me and to not, just... And, and not mind too much. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, the, other thing, the only other thing I wanted to talk to you about was... 
in the press release for... Um, oh, what was it? For, it was, you said, this isn't a joke, it's not a gimmick. Some of the criticism you see during festival time is beyond stupid. It's not <laughs> that I think older people will like my shtick better. It's meant as a small step towards filtering out the truly inchoate. I think it is it inchoate, yeah. yeah. And if you had to Google that word, sorry, but you're not ready to review a show. Wow. <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit pompous and a bit happy It's a bit itself. pompous, but I think um, it's great. And it was just a laugh, because actually, it's one of those words I've only ever written but never said. That's everything. Thank you. So that's the end of John. That was the end of, of that incredible two-hour trek up to the mountains to learn from the master. So um, thank you so much to John for, for being part of that and uh, for, for sharing all of that with us. He, I could talk to him endlessly, and I think we said near the end of uh, that interview that um, he, I think we spoke for a different reason the, the following day. And uh, he said, oh, I feel like I could give a completely different interview today. So I, I hope to bring you one of those uh, in due course. We'll certainly have John back on the show. Um, Gina Yashere, I interviewed a couple of days ago. That one will come out next week or the week after, maybe the week after Des's uh, episode, Des Bishop's live Soho show uh, episode. Uh, Gina Yashere is a wonderful, wonderful comedian, the only British act ever to feature on Def Jam Comedy. She's got an incredible story. She's very opinionated. She's very happy to make her opinions known. That means the same thing as opinionated, I grant you. Um, but she's very funny. We, I really enjoyed kind of... Uh, getting a little tiny bit into her head and working out where she's coming from. She's got a lot to say about comedy and uh, a really fascinating story of what comedy means to her. So Des Bishop next week, Jeannie Asheray afterwards. Remember that discount code FAFF, that's FAF on the SohoTheatre.com website. Come and see Des, book for Nina as well. I'm, I'm certain the Nina Conti show will sell out, so do get in quick. The Des one I'm only less certain about because we've only just this week announced it and it's coming up very soon. So all hands to the pumps. Come and support this. I've been Stu Goldsmith. Uh, thanks again to John Gordillo and thank you to Nathan Wood uh, who co-produced this episode. I'll speak to you soon. Mm-hmm.